0: Isaiah 46. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth. "'Carried from the womb, even to your old age, "'I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. "'I have made, and I will bear. "'I will carry, and will save. "'To whom will you liken me, and make me equal, "'and compare me, that we may be alike? "'Those who lavish gold from the purse, "'and weigh out silver in the scales? "'Hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god?' Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there, and it cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy on the aged you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, there is no one else besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth, They wander about, each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Isaiah, Ray Ortland writes, doesn't want us to move on until we understand that idols are basic to our daily lives. They're so obvious to us, we don't see them. We don't see our culture. Our culture is what we see with. In Romans 1, Paul famously writes of those who exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's why Isaiah is so repetitive, calling out our idolatry again and again. Prophets and apostles, Old Testament and New, God's people always need warnings against idols. They're always, not, they're always there. Even now, within worship, aren't they just within our periphery, calling our attention, distracting us from the one true God, the false gods ever vying for our attention? In the ancient world, it was common to worship these false gods by name. Now, we're too sophisticated for that. We think that practice is ridiculous. But it doesn't matter. We are today as functionally committed to idols as has been every age that has come before us. In Babylon, the gods were Bel and Nebo, Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, their famous namesakes. Bel was the sky god, and Nebo, the god of scribes and wisdom. Together, they represent the ideals of Babylonia. The representations and the cause, if you believed in them, of Babylon's grand status in the world. The idea of believing Bell and Nebo and Babylonian supremacy is completely absurd today. But that's how it works. The ideological idols of one age are ridiculed by the next, even as we blindly hold tight to our own. Imagine. Imagine there's no countries It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Wasn't it only 50 years ago that nonsense was taken seriously? One teacher asks, where is Marxism today? Secular humanism, utopian socialism, each is one of the wrecks of time. Old, defunct idols. Easy for us to ridicule now. For in every age, there are idols leading people to destruction. And those idols have their effect on God's people also. They vie for our attention. They hold us back from living unreservedly for God. And if we take hold of their promises, we forfeit the security and satisfaction that God offers in His. (coughs) Which has divided your attention today? There's always money. Money with its claims to offer security. The way we think to ourselves, if I weren't worrying about money, I could finally be at peace. And its sister, wealth, with the attention and prestige it brings, it offers its own kind of satisfaction, doesn't it? it's easy to go down that idolatrous path. Now, Just as in the ages of Babylon and ancient Rome, all things sexuality are beloved idols as well. Our sexuality was designed by God. It's a good gift from him. But in its idolatrous form, it convinces us that our identity is found in our sexual appetites and experience. Self-control And sexual purity are laughed off as vestiges of an oppressive past. And even for believers, it's easy to buy into that deception and to live as though it's true. A strange one of our time is healthfulness proof that we can turn anything into an idol. We've taken the calling to be good stewards of our bodies and physical lives and twisted it into a means of spiritual attainment. Where the need for exercise is more important than spiritual disciplines. Where foods are labeled as pure and impure. Where we obsess that we look good and that we feel good and having achieved those believe that we are good. This is why we can't think of Bell and Nebo too haughtily, or Marxists, or flower children. They're really no different than our own idols. Old, dead, obsolete ideas and theories and customs and self-images, says one teacher, that feel to us like silver and gold we can't live without. In fact, like Bel and Nebo, they destroy us because they have no place under the lordship of the living Christ. This is Isaiah's warning for Judah and for Babylon. These idols have no place in God's kingdom. They would be laughable if they weren't so dangerous. They're as absurd as Marxism, Utopianism, and Lenin's imagine. And yet in every age, including ours, their equivalents are taken quite seriously and held in high esteem. One day our children's children will look back and find our idols laughable. Yet our contemporaries, and perhaps we ourselves from time to time, cannot imagine life without Every year in Babylon's New Year Festival, giant images of Bel and Nebo were carried around the city in a grand parade for all the people to see. Huge crowds would gather to catch a glimpse of these magnificent deities. It was quite a grand spectacle. And Isaiah looks on this, and that's not quite what he sees, is it? Verse 1, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. What Isaiah notices about these idols is not that they're impressive, but that they're heavy. They're a burden on the people who follow them. And he asks if they have to be carried What's going to happen when their followers have burdens of their own? When the time comes, will Bel and Nebo be able to carry those who are now carrying them? Isn't that what you find with your idols? We think that they can hold us up. We think that the security and satisfaction they provide will last. But every time we need to put any real weight on them, they collapse. Kids, about 6.30 this morning, I was reviewing the sermon in the sunroom, and I heard this huge crash from somewhere in the house. First thought was to blame the cat. But it turned out to be the kid's... Shelf in their shower and bathtub that held up all the shampoos and soaps and things. And it had held that weight for a long time. It gave the appearance that it could sustain the load. This morning we learned it couldn't as it all came crashing down. How appropriate, I thought. Our idols can hang in there for a while. They'll convince us that this is going to work. But like Bel and like Nebo, bowing down together as those holding them up wear out, they simply cannot bear the burden of our need for security and satisfaction. At some point our idols will always come crashing down around us. In Scripture, it's Babylon. That is historically and figuratively the center of idolatry. What Isaiah describes here is Babylon's downfall to the Persians in 539 B.C. And because God is God who knows the end from the beginning, what he describes here won't happen for another 150 years. But it will happen. And then it will happen again and again and again. Every time a society is crushed under the weight of its own helpless idols, Babylon falls again. And this cycle continues because mankind continues to turn to idols and try to put all of our weight on them. Why do we do that? The answer is too lengthy for this morning's sermon. We'll cover it in other texts. But to summarize another teacher's good answers, we turn to idols because we don't trust God's promises, we don't like God's methods, and we find the gifts more rewarding than the giver himself. Mock the ancient savages who worshipped Bel and Nebo all you like. But we are every bit as likely today to exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Besides the fact that idolatry is a great offense to the Holy One of Israel, it has another problem. Idols cannot save. Verse fourteen Behold they are like stubble, the fire consumes them, they cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who you have done business who have done business with you from your youth, they wander about, each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. That last phrase in Hebrew is literally, your savior does not exist. In her time of trouble, Babylon would turn to her sorcerers and astrologists, calling on them to call out to Bel and Nebo, but they cannot save because their savior does not exist. And only a mind corrupted and distorted by idolatry would ever have believed that they could. When they have most need of them, said one preacher, that's when the false gods will certainly fail their worshipers. It's true of Bel and of Neva. It's true of your money and your wealth. It's true of sex and entertainment. It's true of prestige and reputation and health. When you have most need of them, they will surely fail you. Chapter 47 is a vivid description of what happens to people and societies devoted to to these false gods. To read the chapter's description of the destruction of Babylon apart from chapter 46's description of her idolatry is to miss Isaiah's point entirely. They are inextricably linked. And notice the symptoms, the specific indications of idolatry that are here. In the text. Aren't they familiar to us? Verse 5. Sit in silence and go into darkness. O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called. The mistress of kingdoms. And verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge. Led you astray. And you said in your heart. I am and there is no one besides me. Feeling secure in wickedness. Led astray by human wisdom. Selfishness. Self-indulgence. These are the sure signs that the idolatry of Babylon exists in our own hearts. And God's vengeance against that idolatry Will come. He says he raised up this Babylon to discipline his unfaithful people for a time and for his own good purposes in redemptive history. As the years roll on, he likewise allows other Babylons to rise for his own purposes. But every time, righteous vengeance will eventually come and come again. And come again until he returns in glory and all such Babylons are destroyed forever. For all of its figurative language, this chapter is difficult to understand candidly. But for all of that, the message is very simple. God's righteous vengeance is coming against all the idolatrous ages and empires who live in denial that he is God and there is no other. He is God and there is none like him. You deny that reality at your own eternal peril. And when you live in denial of that reality you do so at the expense of your immediate peace and comfort. This is no less true for the not-gods and their followers in our day. If we cherish these idols, if we too devote ourselves to the gods of this present evil age, we invite this judgment. He warns the unrighteous in 46.12 not to be stubborn of heart, And stubborn is exactly what we are when we go back again and again to these gods who cannot save. When we feel secure in our wickedness, I'll do what I want to do. And when we say in our hearts, I am, there is no other besides me. Isaiah offers us two great reasons to turn away from idols and into the arms of the living God. And one of them is a right and healthy fear of judgment. The promise of Babylon's destruction in chapter 47 and the fulfillment of that destruction 150 years later is one of many proofs that the counsel of he who declares the end from the beginning shall stand. He will accomplish his purposes. Our sense of urgency for the lost and a reason we too should turn from the idols around us violently attacking the sins to which they draw us is a healthy fear of this judgment. Lovers of God will have in their lives many pleasures. But God says here lovers of pleasures will find disaster falls upon them the second reason isaiah offers why we should turn away from idols is quite pragmatic they don't work the things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts they stoop they bow down together they cannot save the burden friends we know it's true The things we turn to instead of God claim to offer relief, but in the end they simply add to the burdens we already have. They give the illusions of security, the illusion of satisfaction. They looked good in the initial comparison, so much better, so much easier than the life God is offering. One man writes, we do compare all the time, don't we? For example, what is the comfort of the gospel worth to me compared to the comfort of internet pornography? What is my sanctification worth to me compared with a slim, young figure? What is the evangelization of my city worth compared to my professional success? What is the creator worth compared to the created thing? At first blush, the idols will always seem more secure and more satisfying. But after a time, we'll come to realize we're projecting those benefits on them. They're not providing anything that lasts. It's a mirage. And by the time we realize that, I tell you, these idols aren't going to be easy to let go of. That's why if you look closely at the passage, you'll find that Isaiah offers a third reason we ought to turn away from idols and into the harms of the Holy One of Israel. It's 46.3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who've been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear I will carry and I will save. God can and God will save his people. That security and satisfaction that you're looking for they cannot be found in the creation. They are found in life with the creator. A mother carries her child in her womb. That's the illustration. Sustaining life as she brings him to full term. And then she carries the child in her arms, providing nourishment from her own body and strength and safety and security and warmth and love. And so also, Isaiah says, God carries his children. You see, that mother, when she is old, needs her children to carry her. God never does. God will never need you to carry him. He will never cast his cares on you. He will never give you back your yoke with more weight added. Even in our rebellion, he responds with more grace. He will always bring salvation to his people. He's not helpless like the idols we've made. He's not contingent like all the creation that depends upon him. Do you feel heavy this morning? Do you feel heavy? Are the weights... Piling up. No sign of stopping. No sign of relief. And every source of security and satisfaction that you've trusted in has let you down when it mattered most. Turn from your idols. Turn to the Holy One of Israel with patience. And love, this is the work we have in the body of Christ for one another with patience and love. Let's show each other. Let's show the unbelievers in our lives that the idols that they're clinging to cannot carry them when it matters most. There's an alternative. There's another way. He is God. There is no other. And he will save. Amen.